Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It has been a heck of a start to football season. If you want to bet money lines, overs, unders, parlays, props, and more, then you should head over to betonline.ag. Use our promo code BLEAV50. That's B L E A V 50 to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 28th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening Once again, we are coming at you for uh, over the 1,000th time. I want to say we're in the 1,050 times coming at you with the Take It Easy podcast every single weekday since, uh, shall we say, September of 2019. Fun little project for myself and uh, a way to spend quality time with myself doing something that I find quite enjoyable. And I, I appreciate all of you who continue to support our dreams and make this a little bit Uh, more of a reality when it comes to working uh, in the sports media space and finding a job that brings joy and fulfillment. I appreciate all of you for your continued support of the show and all the work that I do, whether it be our socials or the new show I have, uh, well, I guess, working with Cordell Stewart on his show with Believe and and the documentary that we made on the San Antonio Spurs and all the other stuff that's available. I appreciate all of your support when it comes to the work on this show. Joining us today is one of our longest, well, I guess oldest friends on the show. Uh, This is our third season doing stuff together. It's Razor Rosenthal. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter and uh, check out his work over at Beer Life Sports. Uh, He he is a handicapper. He does picks and and money line parlays, and he has a gambling expertise. And we like to talk about college football and and NFL and college basketball once that time rolls around with Razor uh, through his lens of expertise, which is a fan of sports and as well uh, someone who gambles and makes money gambling. So we're going to talk to Razor uh, coming to us from the Carolinas. And uh, Razor brought my attention. We had this conversation on Tuesday, so that would be the, the 27th. And Razor brought my attention to something that I wasn't thinking about, and that is the impending hurricane in the southeastern United States, and furthermore, the hurricane that hit Puerto Rico uh, not too long ago. If you watch the John Oliver piece from this weekend, it does a great job talking about the hurricane in Puerto Rico, and of course, the now Category 3 hurricane that has touched down in Tampa 
And I just wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about this because after I talked to Razor today, I, I kind of started looking more into this and hearing the Levitard show talk about Hurricane Ian, which is uh, the hurricane that's now moving through Florida and will go up to Georgia and the Carolinas over the weekend where our friend Razor lives, obviously in North Carolina. What I didn't realize is that this is one of the unique storms where the peak of the hurricane touches down as we speak right now or as i'm speaking which is at a uh, uh, close to midnight eastern time on wednesday as we speak the hurricane has touched down uh, on the western coast of florida which is the the tampa bay region moving towards where orlando is and tallahassee and uh, gainesville where the university of florida is and that's the peak of the hurricane touching down along the western uh side of florida and What's unique about this situation is that this is a once-in-a-century hurricane passing through the Tampa region, which does not have the infrastructure for such a hurricane because most of these hurricanes either touch South Florida or move in from the east so that the eastern part of Florida and, and South Carolina and such are affected. And this is a unique storm where it's going to be a Category 3, which is the equivalent of the uh, storm that touched down in Houston back in 2017 with Hurricane Harvey. And the peak of the storm is going to settle over Tampa, Florida. And because Tampa, Florida does not have the infrastructure uh, for such hurricanes, there's a possibility for massive amounts of devastation coming out of this storm. And, and next week, We'll follow up on this, and obviously we're just a weird podcast for a, a few hundred of you, so if you want more information about this, I would check out uh, local weather services, national news. Um, I heard the Levitard show talk eloquently about it and just give information about, you know, as once-in-a-lifetime storms and natural weather events are happening everywhere as a result of climate change and the changing environment around the world, you're going to see more of these cases and so uh, this is the latest example in Tampa Florida where the infrastructure is not prepared for such a, a storm and it could be a potentially devastating event for that community because it's built right along the bay with infrastructure that in some cases is not hurricane proof and is 50 60 70 years old and and people's lives will be changed by this the uh, layout of Tampa is probably going to be affected because you're talking about 10 feet of water it, um, uh, over a gully in the uh, city in which there's only about three feet of protection from the water overflowing the gully and flooding the city. Uh, there's possibility for a devastating event there. And I just wanted to point that out because I didn't realize that until the conversation we had with Razor uh, stimulated my interest about this storm and uh, the possible devastating effects in the Tampa region. So uh, we're going to talk to Razor a little bit about football side of it. I am a little nonchalant about talking about the football side of it. This is a potentially devastating storm, especially for the Tampa and uh, West Florida region of the country. And this will obviously over the weekend affect Razor uh, over in the Carolinas and Georgia and uh, parts of the southeastern United States as well. So um, with that being said, let us have a conversation about sports. Uh, with Razor Rosenthal coming from a region of the country that over the next few days is going to be dramatically affected by a major hurricane.
Hello? Kyle, uh, what's up, man? Hi, Razor. How are you today? Well, 68 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, and four days away from monsoons here in the southeast. So I'll let you know. Right now, it's great. That's interesting. I didn't realize monsoon season was upon you guys. Is that because of the the hurricane going on down there? Yeah, well, major hurricane approaching the West Florida coast here on Thursday morning, and all of that is going to matriculate northeast to the Carolinas and Georgia. So on Saturday, the time it arrives, a lot of college football will be impacted. Oh, I see. I hadn't even thought about that. So does that mean yeah. like NC State and Clemson is going to be moved to like a neutral location probably? It won't be moved to a neutral location. I, I, I think it will be canceled, and I think you may see that game. I don't know how you fit that in, right? Because Clemson, if they don't have a bye the same week that we, we have a bye, it just won't work, right? Can't play two football games in a week at, at Division One football. I don't have an answer for that, Kyle. But I have a feeling that that game will not transpire. Major rainstorms, leftover you know, stuff from the hurricane just expected to hit the southeast on Saturday. Okay, so that means there's a lot of impact that's going to come in that we're not really yep. necessarily thinking about at this point, which yeah. uh, changes the whole math around this. It does. It changes a lot. I think the one the one thing I take away from this to your to your listeners that may listen in tomorrow, which will be on a Wednesday, do not bet right now because you may get a bad line. You may you bet the over and they play the game somehow. You're in trouble, right? Um, mm -hmm. Who knows, right? I just just stay away from these games right now in the southeast because this is a really, really big hurricane that's going to obviously impact the state of Florida um, tremendously. Middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a little bit Friday, pushes out on Friday, and then it impacts all of the states just to the north of Florida on Saturday. There is a weird way that they could make up the schedule. I just looked it up kind of quick where Virginia Tech plays NC State on the 27th and they both have the same bye week. So like if they moved that game up a week, then they could have NC State and Clemson with the same bye week. But it's very complex, but they, they theoretically could figure that one out. But I mean, that was the big game of the weekend. And obviously it's your Wolf Pack. And if the game's yeah. not going to be played at all, then, you know, that changes the analysis. Well, we could talk about the game being played, right? I'm sure that's something that you want to talk about today. Let's assume that we're playing the game and somehow the forecast is not as bad as expected. So that, that's up to you. But just wanted to throw that out because I know you're you're far away on the left coast and you probably <laughs> are not fo you're not focused on this storm as we are here in the Carolinas. Oh, yeah, definitely not. Certainly, I, it's not on the forefront of my mind coming into what a uh, what a rainstorm or a monsoon type storm is going to look like uh, just for everyone experiencing it in the Carolinas. But beyond that, if it touches down on Saturday, then we can talk about football and all of the dumb stuff surrounding the, the hurricane season. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Let's hit it. All right. Well, I guess we'll start off with college football this past weekend. Anything interesting you saw? I know it wasn't a giant college football weekend, but was there anything really interesting that uh, popped out to you gambling wise or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, like, you just kind of it's not that interesting, right? Like college football doesn't have like 
that triple header. Oh my God. I got to catch the noon game. Got to catch the three thirty. got to catch the eight game. Cause they're so intriguing. I mean, ABC sports, their big game. Come on, Ohio state, Wisconsin. That was horrible. Rocky <laughs> top Florida was a pretty good game. That's where game day was in uh, Florida. Uh, really nice backdoor cover by the Florida Gators. There's a lot of points to lay with Tennessee. Uh, game of the week was here in the Tar Heel state, Winston Salem, North Carolina, Clemson versus wake forest. Really good spot if you had the Clemson money line, as I did. Got a little lucky, but Wake Forest uh, sprinkled them in at plus seven. That hit very luckily as well. Both both sides were lucky, right? If you had a Clemson money line, if you had Wake plus seven, obviously the over ticket cashed with ease. Um, just really impressive what, what what they're doing down in Winston-Salem and Wake Forest. I mean, I really felt like Clemson was the play there. Uh, I, I think that Clemson's defense were, were on ice skates. And I don't think they're going to be on ice skates. And here's a little preview of the NC State game. Our offense, when I say ours, that's NC State, not as prolific as what you see in Winston-Salem with the Wake Forest team and Deacons. That offense is really tough to, to figure out and play defense against. They play incredible. They have they have the run game that, that is really tricky, and then they spread you out with five wide receivers at Wake Forest. So uh, I, I like that. I, I like that Wake Forest-Clemson game as the game of the week. Texas? Gosh, you know, it's just like how disappointing can the Longhorns be year in and year out? Seven-point favorite in Lubbock, hold a 12, 13-point lead throughout most of the game. They can't finish. I don't think they scored in the fourth quarter. So, again, I don't care who the coach is. It just seems to not work out very well for the Texas Longhorns. And I got to give a lot of credit to USC. This was a really tough spot in Corvallis, a spot where they typically lose – they didn't do much on offense, Kyle, but the Trojans are undefeated. They found a way to win against Oregon State. That was a fun game to watch if you were up late on the East Coast. Yeah, I just wish I could have found that Oregon State game because I was I was working a football game and I was checking GameCast on it and looking for highlights on Twitter. It was a great game. You just couldn't find it on Pac-12 Network or wherever it was. Yeah, it was uh, it was shown on the Pac-12 network. So obviously, you have to have the Fox Sports app. They're you know they're in bed with the Pac-12 network, so not the easiest game sometimes to find when when Pac-12 network is 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 the provider. But you know that game was was on Pac-12 network, and uh, you know again a, a really good defensive performance by the Trojans. I think the the most intriguing game that that again not talked about enough unless you live on the west coast which where, where, where you're at how about oregon showing a lot of guts and perseverance i mean they they could have just walked away from that game and pullman those kids they, they they were really getting beat up a pick six in the second quarter to give wazoo i think an 11 point lead late in the second quarter man they just they found a way to win oregon not only did they find a way to win they should have covered that game by miracle because oregon was dead to rights down by I think 10 and score maybe 17 unanswered in the in the fourth quarter have a 10 point lead and then wazoo backdoor covers at plus six so really fun game up in uh, Pullman Washington and the Pac-12 as bad as the Pac-12 is on the bottom like the top five teams are kind of fun to watch and I I would include that being Southern Cal Utah Washington is a pleasant surprise Oregon doing what they typically do. And I think Wazoo's right up there as like the number five or six team. So uh, Pac-12 football has probably been the most uh, uh, pleasant surprise of college football thus far. How about uh, over to the NFL with your beloved Buffalo Bills this weekend? I know you were uh, you were kind of processing that whole game and the chaos that went down there. 
lot to process. Um, you know, let's not make excuses, but let's make excuses. Okay. Uh, if, if I could say that, uh, you know, we, we obviously need defensive backfield starters back somehow. Not going to get everybody back. Obviously we got some guys on the IR, uh, but boy, that defense was lost, lost on big plays. Pretty good with short yardage, right? Like if it's third and six and two is just dumping off his three or four yard passes, uh, we got him. Uh, but the big bombs to the Waddle House just couldn't stop it. Um, disappointing. You know, I would say just overall, just, uh, you know, a disappointing ending to that game over. I just also Josh Allen's decision making at, at the end of the first half, just bobbling the snap, not able to spike it. That was bizarre. No timeouts. End of the game. The pass to Isaiah McKenzie inbounds at the 42 yard line. That's going nowhere for you. It was a weird, bizarre game. Sometimes you need those games, Kyle, to just turn the season around, not get too overconfident. And hopefully, boy, what a tough matchup coming up here in Charm City against Baltimore as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, but this was a game, if you're going to lose, lose early. And, and also what we need to do as, a, as an organization, I say we, the Bills, uh, <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need to figure out how to be in great shape if we have to play down in Miami in the month of September. I mean, Stefan Diggs, huge disappointment, end of the game, could not get back on the field due to cramps. I'm sorry, not a lot of sympathy for a professional athlete making that kind of money. You have to be in world-class shape and perform for 60 minutes, even in 92 degrees. That was the difference. I mean, if you look at the what happened with Stefan Diggs, he was not in that final drive. Final two drives, 50% of the snap count. That's not enough for your star player. And you walk away from that game thinking that Buffalo probably should have won. They could have won at the end. Obviously, they have the clock management issues at the end of the half, special teams concerns, and obviously they end up coming out with a loss, but they still looked like a really good team, of course. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, if you're hitting the panic button, you're probably doing yourself a disservice as a Bills fan or Bills backer. Let's say that you had the Bills. You have a futures ticket on the Bills to win the East, a futures ticket to win the AFC. They're, they should be fine. But what we've learned is that this, this organization uh, needs all their key guys in there on defense. And they also make, better not lose anybody on offense that is uh, going to be as special as guys like Poyer and Hyde. And that equivalent would be a guy like Diggs or a guy like, obviously, Allen. But, you know, the running game, huge disappointment. Once again, Kyle, I feel like I just continue to repeat myself over and over for three straight years, whether it's my <laughs> podcast or yours. The Bills can't run on third and one. I almost feel like if you put me in the backfield, I have an equal chance as Devin Singletary on third and fourth or one. How is that possible? Because the return rate on that has got to be under 50%. That is that is an egregious stat in the NFL that you cannot convert more than 50% on either third or fourth and one. And I just it's it's amazing. They're just not set up for that. I almost feel like let's just run Josh Allen every single time. Put him under center, QB sneak. Let's get let's get a yard and a half. Let's get a half a yard, whatever it takes, because this third and one, fourth and one in the shotgun and running the ball to Singletary right into the middle is not working. So a lot of disappointment from that game, but come away with it saying, you know what? They're going to be fine. It's a really, really good football team that just did not 
just wasn't their day. And once the Bills get to the playoffs, they can do that strategy of running Josh Allen 15 times and giving him the ball on third and one because he is their number one running back. They just can't let him keep taking all the the hits during the regular season. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I think on third and one, for example, when they didn't score with about three minutes left in the game, you got you got to turn on the Josh Allen key and let him ride that right you have to have him there two straight plays they did and uh, it's disappointing you know you want to win that game especially if you're a bills fan bills money line you didn't really have a chance to cover if you took him at four and a half or five depends on what you got but yeah, it's a tough one. That's that's what makes sports great, you know? It's like, you know, you, you go out there, you compete for 60 minutes in NFL. Anything can happen. And hopefully these next few weeks treat the Bills right. How about Baltimore? Because you mentioned them. They've had a, an impressive start to the season. Obviously, they also lost to Miami in a weird week two game. But they play the Bills this week. Uh, Lamar Jackson, if not the front runner for the MVP, is right up there in one and two. Uh, what have you made of them so far this year? I don't like their defense this year. So I think New England scored an, just an incredible amount of points that I don't think New England's going to score uh, the rest of the year on. Them. I mean, they look, New England moved the ball pretty easily on this Baltimore defense. And I think Buffalo will as well. They shouldn't have the, the cramping issues and the heat issues when it's, uh, you know, probably 68 degrees in Baltimore uh, this weekend because of that hurricane. Uh, that should cool everything down. Sunday's going to be really nice in the mid-Atlantic in the southeast, right? So shouldn't be NFL should not be impacted that much. Um, this offense, man, I mean, think about who's on the team. Mark Andrews. That's that's it. I mean, it's amazing when it comes to big name Pro Bowl. Even though there's no more Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl like <laughs> yes, players. no more Pro Bowl. That's a good thing. Um, I'm impressed. I would say overachieving Baltimore Ravens offense, underachieving Baltimore Ravens defense. Their defensive coordinator now home at with at MetLife Stadium with the New York Giants. So we've seen maybe a little bit of drop off there with the Baltimore Ravens. So I I think the Bills will score in bunches next week. I think Lamar will get his against this secondary that's banged up. Ed Oliver is a huge factor for the Bills. If he plays, then the Bills will get a little bit of pressure on, on that defensive line. Um, I like the Bills. This is not a homer play. I, I think the Bills are just so much better than Baltimore because I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to stop Buffalo. This defense is pretty weak. You saw what Miami did to them. You saw what you saw what uh, uh, the Patriots did to them last week. And honestly, you know the the Jets. They're terrible, but there was some times where Flacco looked pretty pretty good against Baltimore week one. I like the Bills minus three. Wouldn't pay for it above three and a half or four, but I'd pay the price at minus 180 on the money line, to be honest with you. And Baltimore has had a strange start to the season because I, I look at Duvernay and Bateman on the receiving side, and both of them have been excellent so far this season. It, it feels like they don't have a true number one in the passing game, and then you look up and Lamar's number one in the league in passing yards. Um, so I think the strength is that they have a bunch of number twos at this point, and I, I feel like that's good enough to work with, uh, you know, obviously the quarterback that they have. Yeah, trio of twos, a tight end that's maybe the best in the league. You can make an argument with Kelsey. Uh, Lamar Jackson, the best running quarterback in the league. 
Uh, Bateman had a bad game last week against the Patriots, though. I, I think Bill Belichick, as he always does, I guess he said, okay, we're going to we're gonna focus on the one player. We always hear this every single game. Must have been Bateman because he got me about 5.7 fantasy points. That doesn't get it done. So, um, yeah, I, I think that we could see Gabe Davis or Diggs taken out of the game next week, but just too many other weapons for, uh, for the uh, Ravens to deal with. I wanted to ask you about the uh, New England Patriots a little bit because I saw they were 11 point underdogs against Green Bay this week, which I get because obviously, you know, Mac Jones isn't going to play and everything else. But I think of 11 point spreads and I think of like the worst of the worst teams in the NFL. Is that where the Patriots are right now? Well, they're, they're going to be pretty bad. I like the Patriots in this spot. I like Bill Belichick as a double-digit underdog. But where are the points going to come from, I guess, is what you're concerned about as the Patriots better. But this Green Bay offense, Kyle, not that impressive, right? I mean, they scored 14 points pretty quickly in Tampa, and then they didn't score another point that I can recall the rest of the game, 14-12 final. Listen, yep. the Bears the Bears held them in check, right? You know, the Bears held them in check on Sunday Night Football. And, of course, we remember what happened week one in Minnesota when, you know, you and I could have maybe gone out there and performed better uh, than Rodgers and Aaron Jones. So, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Packers are a great play here at 10.5 or 11. I think they're going to be the number one survivor play on the board. I'm kind of leaning against them because I want to save them. I want them to be a little bit better than what, I, what I've seen thus far. Um, but, yeah, stay away game for me. Not even really interested to put them on a money line parlay at minus five something, minus 550, I would imagine. Just no value there because I feel like Bill Belichick is such a good coach to where he can make them look really bad somehow. And it scares me at that value at 550. I like the Patriots plus the points, but a stay away game for me. Yeah, and that's an interesting place to find yourself in when it's like those plus 400 or minus 500 type of games. And uh, the lines moved a lot in the first few days. Obviously, it's too early in the week to know exactly where it's going to sit, but it went from like, I think, 250 at open to minus 520. Is that just because Mac Jones is injured and, and that's shifting the line? Anytime you lose a QB1, um, that's exactly what happened. Brian Hoyer has been in this league since the Vietnam War. He's not a guy that's just never played this game before. So I feel like this guy knows what he's doing. He's not going to get, he's not going to make amazing plays with his legs. He's not going to throw a ball 62 yards. You know, whatever he's going to do, it's going to be smart. It's going to be executed. They're going to give him a game plan, even though they don't have an offensive coordinator, which just bizarre things are going on in New England, right? <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I think that the Patriots will be on the field on offense as much as Green Bay will, simply because they're going to run on first. They're going to run on second, try to short up. I, I assume all this is going to happen. Make third down easy for Hoyer. Third and five, okay, we'll dump it off to Stevenson. We'll dump it off to Harris. We'll dump it. You know, it's like I don't think we're gonna have. They don't have to go explosive here. So I, I think the Patriots are a good play at, at plus eleven. Yes, obviously that money line went from plus two fifty probably to plus four hundred with the news and the notion that Mac is going to be out. But um, if you take Green Bay and Survivor, you're probably gonna win. It's probably a good play. You know, I know I'm getting off the rails with Survivor because I'm still in it, which is very exciting. I'm never usually in it this deep, which is like week four, right? Um, you just just look at the calendar and, and see and, and see what you have going on in the future for the Packers. Is this the easiest game they have on the schedule? 
maybe i don't know i maybe 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 not so just just look a little deeper before you click on green bay to survive packers got the bears one more time so maybe maybe you could save it for that one i don't know who else they play during the season but oh i think they play like the the jets at some point too so yeah they do get i I think that the uh the north uh i believe the nfc north does get the afc east if that is the case yeah the jets are horrible obviously they do they play the patriots this sunday so yeah um (laughs) yeah jets are a bad team and uh i think if the jets are in green bay to me that's a good sexy pick if you're still in survivor but then you know the argument is Maybe I'm not going to be able to use that play because I'll be out of Survivor and I tried to get cute and I took the Vegas Raiders or the Detroit Lions this week and I should have <laughs> taken Green Bay. So, you know, who knows? Are the are the Detroit Lions heavy favorites this week? Is that a thing? Huh. Well, they're short. They're short under a touch, but they're, they're you're going to pay uh, probably minus 300 on the money line against the Seahawks, maybe minus oh, 275. Okay. And then they're probably a five and a half point favorite against the Seahawks. Yeah. Looks like they're four and a half right now. So I think four and a half. So that yeah, they're dropping down. Uh, Obviously, the money is coming on Seattle. You know, I I think anytime you know you get Detroit as a five and a half point favorite, I'm sure that most of the betting public is going to say, "Okay, give me the other team. I don't care if the other team is blind and deaf. I'm taking the other team as a five and a half point dog." And that happens to be the Seattle Seahawks, which Kyle. I think they they could be the worst team in the NFL. They showed some life against Atlanta at home, but I, this team on the road without that 13th man in, in, in Seattle, God, they stink. I mean, they still have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I don't I don't trust Geno Smith, and I think that defense is really bad. I kind of like Detroit here in a survivor spot. I, I really think if you're going to take Detroit, this may be the week because – they're playing, I think, one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now, the Bears are up there, too. So if you want to wait for Chicago, I can understand that. But Houston, I get that as well when, when the Lions square off against Houston. But this is not a bad spot to take the Lions against the Seahawks. And the Seahawks are worse than Houston? Maybe They're up there. They're up there. I think so. I mean, Houston's defense is better than Seattle's. There's no question about that. I mean, really, I don't know how many points they're giving up per game, but it's not that much, right? Against Indy, they kind of gave up all their points at the end of that game. The next game against Denver, how many points did Denver put up against Houston? If you can remember, what was it, like 13-7 to final? Uh, and then yeah, And then last week, Man, if 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 uh, Davis Mills doesn't throw that pitch, they held Chicago under twenty points. So this defense is better than Seattle, but their offense, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I get that part of it, and maybe they'll end up with a ready-made quarterback that they can plug in, develop, and uh, Seattle can go. At least that's what I'm rooting for, so that Seattle doesn't, or that Houston or one of these other teams doesn't ruin Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Is that they end up in Seattle and. Uh, ready-made system to go just needing the quarterback to to throw the ball to their good receivers and build back up a defense and get value at the position maybe maybe seattle gets one of those quarterbacks it's possible i i you you know i don't know what's going to transpire with seattle but that is a passionate fan base that i think their trade has is going to work out because we can talk about russell wilson you know it is no, there's no reason to overreact for three games, right? But I'm seeing a much slower 
Russell Wilson with his legs. I'm seeing a guy with very little arm strength compared to previous years. I think I saw one really good throw to Sutton towards the end of that game on Sunday night. Something is up with Russ. I think it's father time. Nobody beats father time. And, you know, some of these guys are lasting till their late 30s. Russ is in his early 30s. But I don't like what I see right now to Russell Wilson. I like what I see with the trade, hopefully, for Seattle with future picks. But, man, if you're Denver, you should have paid your punter that money. Not so much Russell Wilson. <laughs> I saw that quote from uh, from what was it Eli? I think said that they should have paid the punter two hundred forty million dollars, given uh, the way that the Broncos run the offense. I mean, it. it what do you make of that situation? Because I know it's father time, perhaps for Russ, and perhaps uh, I, I think this is going to be a one and done type of coaching situation for Nathaniel Hackett. It seems like uh, he's headed towards that territory because of just how poor the offense has been and the clock management stuff and all the all the stuff he's getting crushed for on the internet. But I, I just feel like that's a, a move where Denver just wanted stability at the quarterback position and chose Russell Wilson, even though we all knew Russell Wilson was no longer a elite Hall of Fame caliber quarterback like he was from 2017 to 2020. But it was still like seven years of that would be better than what the Broncos used to have. And you have new owner syndrome coming in at the same time. Like by the end of that seven years, it feels like it's going to be rough on on Denver, but also better than what the last six years have been. Yeah, I, I don't I think that Russell has a better offensive line than he, what he's had to deal with in Seattle. I think his wide receiver trios are a big downgrade from Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and it seems like they always had like a decent third wide receiver. Big, I think, big downgrade in tight end. They just don't have a good tight end in, in, in Denver that, that's actually you know doing anything, right? And maybe they have a blocking scheme tight end. The running game, Lynch and Carson, probably vastly better than what we're getting out of Javante Williams and Mel Gordon. So, you know, Russ is in a tough spot. It's not as easy as you thought it was going to be, right? Like, oh, he'd come into this this team who has a very good defense. Well, the defense doesn't play offense. He doesn't have great weapons. Jerry Judy, I'm sorry. I mean, this guy is, I would say, borderline bust. He's not there yet. Don't want to overreact. What has Jerry Judy given you over the last few years? Yeah, and obviously there's been injuries mixed in and injuries, lack sure. of production. And yeah, uh, he was supposed to be the true number one because Denver spent all that, all those draft picks getting weapons for Drew Locke and then learned very quickly Drew Locke was not the answer. But it's not like those aren't the same weapons that everyone was getting excited about two years ago when it was Sutton and Judy and Hamler and obviously Tim Patrick's out for season, but he kind of counts in that group and they picked Noah Fant in the first round. And obviously he's not there anymore, but like it's pretty much the same group of people that everyone was excited about two years ago and saying how great the Broncos receiving core was. And it's not. So, you know, that's the thing. Like we're, you get excited about Sutton and, and, and Fant, who's no longer there, Patrick is hurt. So if you really read between the lines, Russell Wilson doesn't have that great of a supporting cast. But you throw that on top of the fact that he looks slower, his arm strength doesn't look the same. It's a murky situation for the Broncos. That leads to my pick. Maybe I'm square here. Raiders money line. I think the Raiders are good, Kyle. I just think 
as usual, they're stupid, make stupid mistakes as they've done for the last 67 years, it seems like. I, I think the Raiders are, are, are probably better than the Chargers in a lot of ways. Give me the Raiders beating Russell Wilson on the money line in Vegas this Sunday. The same rule, by the way, Raiders are minus 140 right now. And uh, yeah. the, the same rule has held true for most of my memorable lifetime, which is anytime you think the Raiders are good, they are not. Yeah, <laughs> that's It's been the rule for years. Trust me, whenever you start to think it, think about it again, they will do something that reminds you that the Raiders are in fact not good. And they did that against the Cardinals. And they kind of did it against the Titans. Like it just, their offense wasn't bad. It just felt constipated. Like they were just trying to like move 11 yards on three plays. And there was a lot of incompletions. And it was just, they were moving the ball. They were just moving it so like ineffectively. And it just, it, it was just like tedious to watch them try and come, which this is the Titans offense you're comparing it against. Like when the Titans look like they're creating more space and using uh, slot receivers in a unique way, like that that's a rough place to find yourself in for the Raiders when, when that's the comparisons on offense. Well, how, how you just mentioned slot receivers. So I think as, as bad as Renfro has been this year with his two fumbles against Zona, and how amazing Matt Hollins is, as he is every year for one game. He always has this huge game. He had the huge game for Miami against Jacksonville, I think, in that England game. It yep. may have been last October, right? Like yep. two touchdowns, 89 yards. Okay, so that's it for Matt Hollins. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your contribution. Hunter Renfro is a huge component to this because that's going to create space for the likes of Waller and Adams. There was none against Tennessee last Sunday. So this team needs Renfro back, I think. I think Renfro is a very critical piece to the puzzle. You probably know his injury status better than I do. I haven't followed it yet. Uh, do the Raiders get Renfro back this week, or is he still a process that where he has to heal up for several weeks to come? They haven't listed out the official injury report for the week, but so it's still listed as out because he was out last week. But uh, right. I haven't seen any inclination either way about Oh, oh, here we go. So he's out for week three and there's been no status update for week four yet. But, it's, you know, right. it's a concussion, so we're not really sure. Right. I, I think that that the Raiders will need him. And I think when they get him back, you will see uh, the Red Sea part a little bit more for Adams. And speaking of concussions, how about Tua? You know, should Tua play that second half? Maybe, maybe not. But let's let's not worry about the past. Worry about the future here. In, in, in uh, 48 hours from now, from when we're talking, 24 hours probably when your pod is released, I think two is going to play. I, I, don't, I don't see why he wouldn't. If he competed second half in the Bills game, we should expect him Thursday night as a three-and-a-half-point dog against the Bengals. Tough game. Tough game to handicap. Which Bengals team is going to show up? Which offensive line is going to show up? I don't know. I don't think they can protect Burrow against this really good Dolphins Defensive line. I like Miami plus the points because this opened, I think, at one and a half. Miami or one, mm -hmm. maybe pick a Miami or one Cincy, very tight. That number has traveled over the key number of three, three and a half Cincinnati. Man, I, I like the Dolphins in this spot. Kind of like to, to buy them up to four and a half. If you really want to middle this, Cincinnati at minus, what, 175? Not a bad middle bet. Cincinnati money line. Miami plus the three and a half plus the four if you want to buy it up. You're going one and one. Maybe you get to two and oh and the Bengals win by a field goal.
tough game though to handicap. Looks like the best value you can get is Bengals at minus one fifty right now. So you know if if you're liking Cincinnati, that's a move. But Dolphins are sitting at plus one sixty where I'm seeing it. So that's a that's an interesting game. Is there is there any interest from you on the gambling side when it comes to that game? What I know you said buying up and and potentially putting it on the the um, Dolphins at plus four and a half, but. Is that something you would consider or are you sticking to the money line bets? I think there's two. I think the, the, the likely approach for this game for me will be live. Um, okay. I feel like if I can read this room in the first quarter and if Burrow is under major duress and the Dolphins get up early, maybe I get the Dolphins up 7 nothing and paying only like minus 140 on the money line because they're on the preflop, they were dogs. Right, so you're going to get a really good value when they go up and they score and they're up seven nothing. On the flip side, if Cincinnati protects Burrow pretty well in the first quarter and they're up, I don't mind paying like minus two thirty, minus two fifty on the money line, Kyle. If I feel like Cincinnati is going to cruise, Cincinnati will win this game if they can protect Burrow and give up under two sacks. They will win this game because I think. They are overall body of work on offense, especially better team. They have the better running game. Um, I, I I would say the trio of wide receivers for Cincinnati probably better than Miami. Now Higgins, uh, Higgins versus Waddle. Wow, that's like almost a pick 'em, right? Chase versus Hill. That's almost a pick 'em. But look at what Tyler Boyd did last week. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough for any of the uh, Miami Dolphins to travel with uh, Boyd if he's going to be that wide open. I like Mixon over Edmonds. I like Burrow over Tua. Yeah, the Bengals are, I think, the better team. But can you protect your QB1? I think I'll dive in live and wait to see what happens. That is Razor Rosenthal, everybody. Check him out. Beer Life Sports, Beer Life Official. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, just to close out here, uh, let, let me ask you about that Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer moment over the weekend because your your number one sport is tennis and, and that was obviously a super cool moment. There hasn't been a moment like that. You can make an argument that it was Serena Williams' moment, U.S. Open, three weeks ago, whenever that was, four weeks ago. But this was bigger. This was more classy. To me, there's never been a better ambassador on and off the court in the last two or three decades than Roger Federer. You hate to see him lose that match, but at the end of the day, Kyle, the match really meant very little. <laughs> very little. You know, I, I almost look at that as an ex like an exhibition match. But the moment got big. It was close. It was a great match. And while you're out there, you may as well win it, right? Not gonna yeah. just hand it over to Sock and Tiafo. Uh I was, I, I found myself really pulling hard for Federer Nadal as that match got into the end of the second set and in the third set tiebreaker because I was like, man, this guy really just should win this match. He really should. When they had match point, I mean, I had like my hands on the couch, like holding the couch, like, come on, finish this off, finish this off. And they couldn't. And I got to say, of all the four guys, the most clutch was Francis Tiafo from America, from Maryland. But the best overall player that night was Roger Federer. And to me, that's special. He went out against world-class players 
two of those guys much younger than him and the guy he played with, his arch rival and greatest tennis friend probably of all time, Nadal. And I think he played the best of all four. So amazing night, so special. He's the best. I mean, I know there's GOAT arguments and Nadal, Djokovic, Fed. You, you can make an argument for all three players, but he's, he's just a classier than, guy than all of them, in my opinion. And it was a tough night for tennis, but uh, we move on, and hopefully in the next decade or so we, we find ourselves another Roger Federer that is a great ambassador on and off the court. He is Razor Rosenthal, and we appreciate his time as always. Thanks, Kyle. Hope to talk to you soon, buddy.